Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. We're going to have to start levelling up our managers as well. Otherwise, we're going to have some really, really inefficient organisations. It's no longer enough to just slam a whole bunch of people into an office, on desk, say, right, you're in charge, and go make it work. That's Azechi Britain, recently announced as the first CEO of the UK's Centre for Finance, Innovation and Technology. He's a founding member and outgoing CTO of Impact X Capital and was recently appointed as a trustee for Crisis, the UK charity for people experiencing homelessness. Previously, he was the CEO and co-founder of Code Untapped and Neighbour. In this episode, Izechi shares how he acquired leadership skills from a very young age, defines what good managers are like, and reveals the leadership lessons he gained by watching Star Trek. He also explains how organizations and investors keep managers from doing a great job and cautions against immediacy at the expense of playing the long game. Hello, Izechi, and welcome to this Manageable Conversation. Could you share your thoughts, please, on leadership and management based on your remarkable journey? It's really good to talk to you about this stuff today. I think for me, leadership started really early. I was in the church. I was in the choir. I was an altar boy, right? I was in beavers, cubs, scouts, all of it. So we were doing night hikes from the age of like 12. And then I was in karate as well from the age of 13. So I was experiencing coaching and leadership and then coaching others from a very early age. I was head of the karate squad at university. So from a very early time, I've been involved in some shape or form of being led, being coached, leading or coaching others. The thing I've found with really good managers over the years is that they care. They care about you and they care about the job. And the better you're doing, the better the job will be. And they see that they focus on that, but they also have a vision for what they want to achieve. Another manager of mine from Lehman, a guy called Bupesh Bora, I always say to myself, what would Bupesh do? I've told him this and he laughs because actually that phrase came from an article I found one day, which was titled, what would Picard do, right? And it was about Jean-Luc Picard and the next generation. And if you watch it, it's all about leadership under extreme conditions. If you look at the decisions and the way Jean-Luc Picard makes decisions, it's all about excellence and leadership. And I would always joke with Bupesh and say, look, you're my, you're my model. And whenever I think about a decision, I go, what would Bupesh do? And one of the biggest lessons I learned from Bupesh, and it's really about making people feel like they've got authority and they've got the autonomy to drive and make mistakes, but recognize they will make mistakes. So be there ready to catch them when they make those mistakes so that they can continue to have that bravery to step forward and make decisions. Why do you think it is a bit rare? We don't promote people to management roles because they're good at managing people. We promote them to management roles because they're good at a specific task that they do. That's the thing that gets them promoted. And I don't know about you, but I know some fantastic coders who really shouldn't be anywhere near (laughs) managing people, right? But that's the problem. That's what we promote them for. And then on top of that, we don't train them. It's just they get lucky and do they have an aptitude for it? 
and that they managed to have some form of influence early on that has given them some key skills that enables them to manage others. And then we look at that and we go, well, why are these people such bad managers? And then we don't give them the tools, right? And we don't give them the authority. They have to go through a committee before they make decisions. And then on top of that, we create environments where their teams can't thrive. And this is a massive issue that I see in a lot of organizations where we talk about culture, culture, cultural fit, without recognizing that different teams have different cultures, different ways of working, different types of delivery. Technologists fully capable of working remotely and have been able to do this for years, and yet we expect them to work in the same way as a sales team, right? <laughs> wear the same things, be in the same place, act the same way, respond to the same incentives doesn't make sense. So everything is upside down. And then on top of that, everyone's judged not on the quality of their people, but by the number that they manage. Mm, mm. How many times have we seen this? Oh, how many people do you manage? 10, 20, 100. So you end up with bloated teams of people who are unhappy, don't get touch points with their managers. So we just create these massively toxic environments with all the wrong incentives, lack of training, lack of decent role models. And then we go, well, why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny, funny as I mean, I started in the city as a trainee. What strikes me as you're reeling off these issues, you know, which are real, aren't they? And we know that they're out there, mm. but it doesn't seem like it's a lot has changed. And yet a lot has changed. It seems as if management practices have been frozen somehow, whereas awareness of organizational issues, diversity, inclusion. A lot of these sort of topics over the past decade really seem to have moved on massively. Correct me if I'm wrong. But how does all of that reconcile? Or do you have a a silver bullet? There are no silver bullets because werewolves don't exist, unfortunately, right? I think, well, there has been a seismic change recently in terms of management and how we approach it. And that's been forced by the pandemic and our approach to remote work and hybrid working, right? Not everyone agrees with it. Not everyone wants it. There's a clear split between who wants it and who doesn't. And it tends to be those people at the top don't want it. And those people who aren't at the top absolutely do. And the reality, you know, the truth lies in between somewhere. But more that that debate has forced to the surface this issue of how we manage, treat and take care of our people. And what does that actually look like? in the 21st century moving forwards. And it's been too focused on, are you in the office or mm. not in the office? Are you working or aren't you working? Are you motivated or aren't you motivated? How about we focus more on the question of why aren't people feeling motivated when they're in the office? Why do they feel more motivated when they're at home? Why do some want to come in and some don't? Why is it that managers want to be in and other people don't? There are some managers who really don't want to be in the office. They don't feel the need to. Also. How are we utilizing technology to enable this? How are we treating different members of our teams as well versus others? And there's now a war for talent as well. That's the irony of all these cuts that you've seen and the big companies, especially tech companies, just shedding people like crazy. It's actually created a massive war for the top talent at the moment, which is actually now driving downward pressure in regards to, well, if you want me, this is what I want. And if I'm going to get that, then everyone else goes, well, if they're getting that, then I want that too. So no matter what anyone thinks about hybrid and remote, it's here to stay. All the reports and all the trends show it is. 
And that is going to have major ramifications for the way that we manage and take care of our talents and our people. And that means we're going to have to start leveling up our managers as well. Otherwise, we're going to have some really, really inefficient organizations. It's no longer enough to just slam a whole bunch of people into an office on desk, say, right, you're in charge and go make it work. It's just not going to work. You're going to need people who are very, very skilled at managing geographically remote teams. It's just going to have to happen. And that introduces a whole new load of skill sets that a lot of people just do not have that are absolutely critical. And guess what? These things involve trust, they involve autonomy, they involve authority. All things I touched on Mm, in the beginning, mm. right? When it comes to good leadership, good management, it's going to have to happen now if you want your organization to be successful. If you want that, though, you're going to have to start training your managers on how to do it. So I think these are things that are going to be driven forwards as a result of what's happened. We did a collaboration with Professor Roger Kneebone at Imperial last year, and he talks about impatience as a toxin. Where's this rush to just brand everybody an expert and you don't need training? It's all innate. Whereas the other thing I take from some of your comments is, you know, people do need that baptism. People do need training. People do need to stop with the frenzy of action or the presenteeism and actually just take stock, get some mentorship, get some quality apprenticeship. There's a lot to unpack. There, yes. Right? And I'm going to take a step back and tell the story. When I was at Credit Suisse in Switzerland, I started doing Cuban salsa, so salsa cubana. And there was a woman in the office who decided to start as well. And she was going to the same salsa studio. And I remember seeing her, like, oh, fantastic, you're learning to dance salsa. She's like, yeah, 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 really liking it, really liking it. I'm like, great, fantastic. And I caught up with her about six months later. I said, oh, how's the salsa going? She goes, oh, yeah, it's been really good and really good. I'm, but I think I've probably done enough now. And so well, what do you mean you've done enough? She goes, well, six months, I think it might have been nine. It's, it's a long time. I think I've, I've learned enough now. I'm like, I'm like really? Nine months? <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know, it's a long time. I said, are you sure? She goes, well, how long have you been doing salsa? And I said, well, five years now. I've, I've been going and practicing, and I'm still practicing, still attending classes. She goes, five years. That's a really long time. I said, well, you don't want to know how long I've been doing martial arts for then, because I've been doing that since I was 13. So there's this idea, I call it like deep time, right? There's this idea of immediacy versus the long game. And I'm a big believer in the long game. And I say to people, I'll always have a coffee because you don't know what the outcome of that will be. And it might not be next week, might not be next month, might not be next year. It might be five years from now, 10 years from now that you get a payoff from that. And I've seen this over and over and over and over again in my career. That rush to get things done immediately doesn't always work. And often it fails, actually. And actually, often that's the key driver of failure. So coming back to what you were saying, the flip of that is we do have a drive to get things done quickly in the investment space. And there is a pressure from investors. The issue is, I think, is when you're speaking to startups and founders where they're just not ready for that. They're not ready for that level of pace. They don't have the right skill set. They don't have the connections and the network to be able to build. And maybe they just haven't done the groundwork yet. And we come into an organization, we go, right, we turn on the juice. We go, go for it. And they implode. And you see this nine times out of ten. I think that's the biggest problem. I often say that a neighbor, we had an opportunity to raise about 20 million super, super early. And if we'd taken the money, the company would have been dead within a year. 
because we just weren't ready for mm. it. We absolutely weren't ready for it. And you see this over and over and over again. I think it's it's about the startups and founders. It's about making sure you get the right investors at the right time for you. And for investors, it's about being really honest with yourselves and doing your diligence. Actually, do you know this word due diligence that investors love to throw around when they say we're not going to invest in you? They claim to do the DD and they don't. Right? It's an excuse for a lot of them. It's all about FOMO. It's all about fear of missing mm. out. And it's all about just driving as hard as possible. And unfortunately, some startups aren't ready for that. And they're not in the right place. And we then blame them. We go, well, they didn't have the right training. On top of that, there is an absolute fetishism around CEO and young CEOs straight out of university. Or dropouts. Even better, dropouts. You dropped out of a top-tier university. I remember hearing a really well-renowned investor talking about this in the UK, I won't name them, saying, I don't understand why more university grads don't drop out in the UK, right? And I'm just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Am I actually hearing this? And you go, it happens all the time in the US, right? That's how things get done and blah, blah, blah. They're wasting their time at university. And I'm just thinking, only someone who has had the privilege of walking into a room without a qualification and still getting what they want can say something mm. like that. And then we look at startups and we look at early stage founders and we go, why don't they have the skills that they need to absorb 20, 30 million in funding and build a successful, scalable company? Come on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're literally creating the rod for our own backs here. And we're building a hit-based industry that is based on burning out nine out of 10 organizations on the hope that one makes it big. And that is not a way to scale up. Any other industry, you'd be like, this doesn't work, this doesn't make sense. And because so much money is at stake and gets made, well, it's fine. But there's a real human cost to that, right? There are investors who put their money into these funds. There are founders who put everything on the line to build these companies. What sort of things are you getting behind with a view to the next few years that you would also advocate other leaders, CEOs, first-time managers to sort of think about and also get behind if they have power? I'm very much involved in the mentorship advisory sector. And there's a whole new generation of investors and VCs coming up now who want to do things differently. And you're also going to start to see in the UK, that this, it's already happened in the US, but in the UK, a new generation of investors who are ex-founders coming up as well. In the UK, less than, I think it was 8% of venture capital investors have operational experience. Less than 4% have technology experience. These are the same investors who are then driving and investing in all the top technology companies in the UK, the top startups, but have never, ever worked in a startup. So what you're getting is really just myth upon myth, story mm. upon story. I've seen this here, so you should do that. I've been told this is how it works, so this is what you should do. That's bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That, that is bad, right? There is no real experience coming in. And I think as we start to see big exits starting to happen in the UK, technology founders coming out of these companies, these people are going to sit there and go, oh, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> when you get you know, the big fund coming and go, right, this is what you're going to do. No, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And do you know why is what we're going to do? Because I've done it before and I know how this works. So this is what we're going to do. 
go away and please be quiet because we're focusing on execution, delivery, growth, right? And unit economics. And I think you're going to start to see that happening, a new wave of that over the next five years in the UK. And that will drive a sea change of activity, I believe, personally. Yeah, I can't wait. What would you advocate managers of teams at any level try and actually get over the line as quickly as possible this year instead of just being wishful thinking? My thing, empower your people. Seriously, what people need to be successful is authority, autonomy, and direction. Give them the autonomy to do what they need to do, to make decisions, to go where they want, to focus on it. Give them the authority to actually execute on decisions when they need to make them, but give them the direction so they know where they need to go with all of this. And then shield them from the rest of the nonsense. If you do that, whether they're in the office, out the office, whether they're doing what, I don't care, right? You can figure that out amongst yourselves. But if you do those three things, you're going to build rock stars in your team. And it will be the people who you least expected it from as well, who will suddenly come out of their shells because they know what they need to do. They've got the freedom to do it. They can go, instead of having to run it up the flagpole, they can go, well, let's give this a shot. Let me give this a go. You wanted a silver bullet. That's it. It's not that difficult. It's a fantastic manifesto for modern human <laughs> management. And the best thing about these things that you're talking about is, is that you don't need permission. You don't need budget to empower. No, you don't need tools. Yeah. You don't need anything. You just do it. Fantastic, Ez. I've really loved this conversation and I wanted to thank you, you know, for this time. No worries. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.